Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 to 25. We're still in the section where Moses is explaining and applying the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Of course, there's an overlap with the idea of idols related to false gods, but we're still on the the uh, larger teaching by Moses of the first commandment, and he'll go on to do that for most of the book of Deuteronomy, having give us, given us the shorter, com- uh, excuse me, uh, the short verse and the summary of God's law in the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, a reminder that he gave this to the children at Mount Sinai particularly, and now they're grown with their children about to go into the promised land, and he's reminding them and applying the Ten Commandments of how they are to live as his covenant people. Now I want to first address the children before I read this. Gideon, Yeah, you included, and Gabriel, and all the children, but especially young ones, I want you to know, even Juliana, I'm going to trust by faith that uh, she might hear and get something. Psalm 8, verse 2, why wouldn't I want to think that? But children, I want you to know the sermon's particularly for you and about you today, okay? And I said to Gabriel this morning, hey, the sermon's about you. He says, me? I said, well, not just you, (laughs) but it's about all the children. This is about you. So I want you to particularly listen and put your thinking caps on. Because I'm going to have some extra application for you today. It's particularly for your parents, but it's really about how they will raise you in the Lord. So also, moms and dads, you listening? Yeah? Because he is going to tell you what you're supposed to do for your children today in the church, okay? So I'm listening. We're going to read together Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 to 25. Hear now the word of the Lord who is speaking to his covenant people about how to live with and for your Lord, including our children. Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God, For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. So as you see, children, the son or the daughter uh, asks a question. Mom, dad, what does everything we're learning in church mean? What is it ultimately all about? And then mom or dad gives an answer. Similar to this. I ask you this question. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I'm thankful to see even some of the young ones reciting that, but not just the young ones. And... um, Our little ones even know kind of a little simpler version of that. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God make all things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. But that question and answer of the shorter catechism number one. What is man's chief end? That's really what is this all about? What's my purpose? 
What are we here for? Why are we in church? Why are we learning all these commands and to know how to be saved in a way of life? That's the significance. That's the question, really, that the children are asking. What is the significance of this? Or as my systematics professor in seminary liked to say, how's comes? (laughs) How's comes? Why? What's the significance? What is this all about? What's the ultimate meaning of the law? Our text asks today. Sons and daughters, boys and girls, you should be asking your parents questions. What is the meaning of this? What is this all about? Help me understand. And the answer is living for God. Saved from slavery and death, living in liberty and life for God. The children of the church must be raised to ask and learn about their identity in Christ, to live a righteous, heavenly life in God's presence, free of the slavery of the world's sin and death. I give that to you as the main idea of our text. The children of the church must be raised to ask and learn about their identity in Christ, to live a righteous, heavenly life in God's presence, free of the slavery of the world's sin and death. Many commentators compare this text to a a catechism, which I kind of already gave you a feel for. Uh, Remember, much of the Reformed Church, much of of the movement of the Reformation, uh, made catechisms, questions and answers, a way to engage and encourage asking questions to learn and teach with the answers. And so God says, when your children ask this question, here's the answer to be ready to ask them. And of course, you want to be prodding them to ask, right? You want to be encouraging them to ask. But it's almost like a catechism here. John Courage says, verse 20 especially, is prominent in the Haggadah. The Haggadah is that Jewish Passover ritual. It's sitting around the table and, and there's the teaching of the sense of we are God's covenant people and we're waiting. And, and uh, the Haggadah, the, the, the um, tradition, uh, the ritual of the Jewish Passover, the parents will particularly bring up verse 20. This idea of what's the significance of everything we're doing. And God does say this in Exodus and elsewhere. When your children ask, sometimes what's the significance of the Passover? I believe it's Exodus 13 and 14, um, verse 14. In other places, they're going to ask, what's the significance? And we need to be encouraging and setting them up to ask such questions and then be ready to have the answers to tell them. And don't forget, our catechisms do that for us. They give us the questions and answers for the main things to know about the Christian faith from the Bible. He says, John Courage says, the questions posed by children are an opportunity to catechize them. So Christians, encourage your children to ask questions. So you teach your children to live in the Lord's liberty. That's the message for you this morning. And children, you want to be setting us up to do it by asking good questions about Christianity and the Bible and God. Parents, this is particularly for you, but children, you're to, you're to ask us and set us up to do it. Teach your children to live in the Lord's liberty. Parents, you are to raise your covenant children in the faith as their faith. You know, it's the Westminster Confession of Faith. Faith sometimes is understood as a doctrine, a set of doctrines and beliefs. 
set them up as covenant children, raise them up as covenant children in the faith, as their faith. Like sheep that are born in the flock are sheep. The little lambs, when they're born, are given great care and love, just as much sometimes more than their parents. They're not picked up from the mother, said, oh, how nice, and then sent outside to be with the wolves and the goats. Children are born in the flock. They're not goats. And the shepherd raises them the same. And he leads us to be part of that. The children will ask the question, God says. If you're doing things right, they're going to do that. They're not asking a question of unbelief or scrutiny. They're seeking to grow in understanding. Verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? So this is, this is the beginning and the context today. Your children are going to ask you questions. Be ready for that. Set it up in encouragement. Verse 20. They're going to ask a question. And what's the question ultimately going to be? What it should be if they're thinking. What's the point of all this? What is the significance? And that's something that is really taught in my preaching classes that we have to really bring out in the sermons. The significance. What's the main point of the text? And then what is the main thing that we should do with that? The main application of the text. So when I always tell you, here's the main idea of the text, I'm giving you what is called the exegetical point. What is the subject of the text? And then what is the text saying about the subject? That's the complement. You combine it, you polish it as much as you can, and that short statement is helping you understand, here's what the text is about. But then the significance, the application of it, the homiletical point, what are you to do about it? And that today for you is teach your children to live in the Lord's liberty. And the children are going to want to know significance. If you're raising them right, you shouldn't be afraid of questions. You should be preparing to answer them. And that's why we want to always remember that, you know, we don't have to recreate the wheel. We've got a very mature confession of faith and larger and shorter catechism, among other things, to assist us. Don't forget also about our amazing library of Puritan and Reform works to come to your assistance. Um, the significance. The child is going to ask you as they're growing up, what is the significance? What is the ultimate end and purpose of being called to live like this? Why all these commands? What is it really all about? It implies that the child is maturing in the faith. It implies they've been getting taught these things. And as they're growing up and maturing, because they have been raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, such as we are commanded in Ephesians 6 verse 4, we should expect them to ask deeper questions. Now, it's okay sometimes to default to something I, one of my standard answers is, because God made it that way. <laughs> because God says so. I can't explain everything behind it. And even if I knew some of the science of it in certain situations, I still can't, nobody can really explain it all. And we can teach them to just marvel in the Lord as we studied in Psalm 8 this morning. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Right? But we teach them the significance. P.C. Craigie says this. The fact that this son would be asking such a question implies a good family relationship. So children, you need to be encouraged to ask mom and dad questions about the Bible, about God, about Christianity, and parents, you should be expecting that and anticipating that and answering them. And they're going to often ask the same questions, and you need to keep answering those questions to help them 
own it. P.C. Craigie says again that such questioning implies a good family relationship from the youth growing to maturity in the covenant community. They've already been instructed in obedience, wishing to know the significance of it all. That's what he says. They've already been getting instructed and they want to know the ultimate meaning and significance of it. That's a deeper, more penetrating uh, question at the end of the day. What is man's chief end? What is the purpose of all these things that we're learning? Church children are raised up to understand themselves as part of the family and household of God. Notice the child should say, the Lord our God. That's what they do in verse 25. They're asking these things. Tell us about what the Lord said to you. Tell us about the significance of these things the Lord said and did for you. But they don't say the Lord your God, they say the Lord our God. The children are asking questions of faith and belief because they've been raised to believe on the Lord Jesus and on their covenant God. So they own this, the Lord our God. There's no maybe one day they'll be my God. He'll be my God. There is the Lord our God, the Lord my God. The Father's God is their God. Remember when Abraham was... Uh, graduating into communicant membership status to take the Lord's Supper after having gone through the long membership class to know the meaning of all of this through the confession of faith. One of the sermons was, let your father's God be your God. And that is a phrase through the scriptures, especially the Old Testament. My father's God is my God. This is to be the norm. These children, who are now adults, were also rescued out of Egypt and brought through the Red Sea. But notice in verse 23, they say of the patriarchs, so the parents are saying, our fathers, as God promised to our fathers, right? Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who have gone before us. So they have the same idea of our God, our fathers, the family and household of gods. Thus the children say, Our God, explain to us what the Lord, our God, said to you about how we are supposed to be. What's the significance for me? Help me to understand as I'm growing up. Help me to understand myself in Christ and in the church. These children are now adults, rescued out of Egypt, brought through the Red Sea. And they're standing later with their parents at Mount Sinai. Now look at chapter 5. Verses 1 to 3, this is the setup of the giving of the Ten Commandments for the second time. Look at me at chapter 5. We're going to flip a few times today. Look at chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 3. They're about to hear the Ten Commandments for the second time, and they're reminded about where they first heard it. These are adults now, the second generation. Almost the whole first generation has died in the desert. They're back at the promised land, about to go in, and they're reminded of the Ten Commandments. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ear this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. But when they were there at Sinai, they were children. Now when they go to the promised land, They're going to have the next generation. There's going to begin to be the generations of children who didn't go through the Red Sea, 
who didn't go through the desert. They're born in the promised land. They're born with the blessings of all their fathers have brought and set up before them. But they're still the covenant children. And they're to live this way in the promised land. But they won't have the benefit of having seen it all. So they're going to particularly say, what's the significance of it all? But notice, this is particularly focused on the children in the next generations. They're now to stand with their children in the covenant and train them to raise their own families in the Lord and their children and their grandchildren so they can have the testimony of Psalm 128. Parents, God wants you to raise your children in a way that you expect them to ask you about the faith. Children, God expects you to ask your parents questions. He is interested in you knowing God. He is interested in you knowing who you are in God and serving and living and getting ready to raise your own children in church. You're thinking ahead for a husband or wife of a similar faith and you want to have the pairing of Rebecca with Isaac, Jacob with Rachel. You want to be building the church with covenant seed as we sing about at the end of Psalm 22, all about Christ and his church. You are to understand, children, that you're part of the church now. That's why we baptize you, acknowledging that having the privilege of being born into God's people, you are identified with God's people and to be raised as God's people. And again, parents, God wants you to take your responsibility seriously to focus on that. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4, just for review. You're probably thinking, boy, this is coming up a lot. Yeah, it is. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. And lest they depart from the heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. And actually, look ahead to verse 10 also here. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord, thy God, in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their Children. Now look ahead to verse 40. Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. The, the idea of the children benefiting of being part of the covenant is always there. And they have to be taught how to live accordingly. Now look to chapter 6, where we are in, verse 2. Chapter 6, verse 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. There is always God's focus on the continuity of the covenant through every generation, primarily working through our catechizing, our teaching, our raising up our children as Christians. Because every other religion is doing it. Including the world, just what is it mainly today? The idea that we are nothing. But that's a religion of unbelief. It's a religion of rebellion. 
We need to claim our children and raise them for who they are in the Lord. Look at verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Hey, that sounds kind of exhausting. Uh-huh. It's a lot of work to raise children right in the Lord. And you don't ask somebody else to do it for you. Because nobody can do it like mom and dad. doesn't mean you don't get help and assistance. But it's our responsibility to raise our children in the faith and raise them in the Lord. Not only teach them their ABCs, but catechisms 1, 2, and 3, and so forth. It's our responsibility to raise our own children. And everybody's wanting to hand that off to somebody else today. Including coming to church. We need to teach our children how to sit in the pews and listen and walk away asking questions about what they heard. And it's a lot of work and it's not easy. But remember what we learned a little while ago? Keep your hand to the plow. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For you shall reap if you faint not. And we remember this, the illustration of the olive tree. Three, four years, the olive tree doesn't produce much at all. It finally does it about three, four years, but it's not until about 10 to 12 years that you get a lot of fruit. And they were making that application to the raising of children. Keep at it. Understand the glory in it that comes with delayed gratification and the blessing of seeing over time. Oh, yeah, it's catching now. Oh, that's making a difference now. Because it doesn't happen on their own. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So, beloved, have family worship. Sometimes you got to be quick. You got to, dads, I've learned I got to read while the others are eating or the children don't last that long. And the older children have to be patient with the smaller children's stories for a while to pull it off or I don't pull it off. It's better to pull off something. And we always build and learn from something. Even just the fact that worship is important. And family is important. And catechize your children. Encourage them to be working and memorizing on the shorter catechisms for Lord's Day evening and give them the example and let them be your prodding to do it and, and work on it. And when, you, when we go through these things, think about them, ask. And if we don't know the, know the answer, let's look it up, review our materials, review our membership class. Let's, what a joyous opportunity. What, what could we be better spending our time with? It's time-consuming, but what, what could be better to spend our time with? Because God expects you to be ready to teach them about the faith. So raising your children in the faith, teach them they are not slaves to this world. And that's the main answer. That's the main answer. Teach them they are not slaves to this world. Parents, you are to raise your covenant children in the faith as their faith Raising your children in the faith, teach them they are not slaves to this world. The church's children are not to see themselves as born outside the covenant in chains. But to be raised to see themselves as born in Christ's palace being prepared for their father's house. Inheriting the whole earth, as you also sang in Psalm 22. The parents need to be ready to give an answer. The first part is the children are going to ask the question, and that implies they've been getting raised, and now they want to know the meaning of it all. 
Parents need to be ready to give the answer. That's verses 21 to 25 of chapter 6. Let's revisit it. Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive, as, it is, as is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness... If we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he hath commanded us. Well, that's a lot, but let's think about the main things that the answer from the parents is. Why are we doing all these commandments? What's the meaning of all of this, the children ask. The answer is, well, first of all, the purpose, verses 21 to 23, to save us out of the slavery of this world. Which is why, remember, at the preamble of the Ten Commandments, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it starts with, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God has slaved you. Christ has, excuse me, saved you out of slavery. This is important to be able to remember so that our children can learn to say, when you're tempted with sins, you can say, I am not a slave to Satan. I am not bound by Satan. He does not have me in his chains. I don't have to do this. He has no right to ask it of me. I have no obligation to give it to him. Verses 24 to 25. He saved us out of slavery. What? Unto his holy service. Unto the holy service to God as his blessed, peculiar people and holy nation. He saved us unto life. He saved us into the new world with God as our God, the true God, not Pharaoh and all these false gods. I want to remind them of what the ten plagues mean. I want to remind them about all what this is. The topology of being uh, delivered out of Egypt is Christ delivering us out of the world, remembering he was with them through the Red Sea and through the desert. He saved us to be gathered as his holy people, a convocation of holy life, service, and worship around God who is within our midst. Now, especially through Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, and is Jesus, he saves his people from their sins. We are saved from slavery to be blessed with life and a life of liberty, to be a righteous witness see, it says that we would be righteousness. Our living this way will be our righteousness. Verse 25. You see a similar statement in chapter 24, verse 13. We'll get there later. You see, this isn't saying that it's our living righteously that earns us this. Rather, it is our witnessing that the Lord is our righteousness. What is one of the names of God? The Lord, our righteousness. What is the gospel? We're not to be ashamed of, Paul says in Romans. The gospel of God is the righteousness of God given to us in Jesus Christ. So our righteousness is reflecting this, living it out. Not saying we love Jesus while we deny our profession, as Paul says in Titus, by our lifestyle. When we get to live this righteous, 
holy, blessed way, free from the slavery that ties everyone down and all its consequences. We live a free, happy, blessed life. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when you live for my kingdom. Oh, the world will curse you, but you're actually blessed. You give a witness to the Lord our righteousness. As you are reflecting his righteousness, be ye holy as I am holy. He calls us righteous. He has made us holy in him. And he calls us to be holy as he is holy in his holy presence. Again, within his midst, out of the world, away from Pharaoh, away from Egypt, as his people Israel, centered around God in our midst. And in this life, as well as in the next. See, because the life of those in the world are going to hell forever. And filthy unrighteous suffering and loneliness and despair that never ends, body and soul. But the children of God in Christ go to heaven forever. As we see in Revelation, around the throne and around the Lamb, waiting in the river of life, eating of the trees of life, restored into the garden in the comfortable presence of God, walking and talking with us, And we want to give a witness to that. J.G. McConville explains, Righteousness is fundamentally a quality of God, which becomes an ethical imperative for Israel. P.C. Craigie says this, Righteousness in context is a true and personal relationship with God. Thus, the answer to the son's question finally focuses on the proper relationship of a man to God and the fruit of that relationship to daily life. The answer is, the fruit is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us from sin and death and Satan. And the glorious blessing of that is to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The, excuse me, the, the root, I should have said. The root is our faith. And the fruit is our life, our living out of our faith, giving a witness to the faith and that the faith is ours. Our lifestyle is a witness to our eternal life in Christ. So children, as you have been born in the church by your Christian parents, you are holy in the Lord Christ. Did you hear that? Young children especially, you listen Gabriel, you are holy In the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear that Gideon? You are holy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac, Abraham, Rachel, Olivia. Got a little out of order there. (laughs) Juliana. Those the Lord will give us. You are holy. Separate, set apart by God and Christ. You are not of the world. And you're not to see yourself as in the world. You are holy in the Lord Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 tells us that. By virtue of representation of at least one Christian covenant-believing parent, which is why you're baptized. That's one of the significant proof texts for baptism of our children. Jesus says, as such are the kingdom of heaven. Children, you hear this? What does Jesus say to you? Such is the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were saying, don't bring the children to Jesus. He's too busy. And Jesus says, bring them. 
Bring them to me. Let me lay my hands on them. Let me bless them. Such is the kingdom of heaven. So beloved, all of us, remember, should have a childlike faith. All of us should be coming to our Heavenly Father asking questions, wanting to mature. Not just staying on milk, as Paul says, but growing on to physical substance and uh, the deeper and and, uh, wider things of God. And willing to turn to those who can help us learn and willing to ask questions that we would learn. And having people who are trained and ready to teach us. And if they don't know the answer to how, go find it. I remember in seminary, one of my professors said, we can't teach you everything, but we can teach you how to study. (laughs) Teach you how to find it. Jesus says, you are the kingdom of heaven, children. He beckons you to come close to him and have his hands laid upon you and bless you. And he calls you out of this world. And he calls you to be righteous, peculiar, holy priests and kings for him. He calls you, children, now to be light and salt to the earth. And I want to remind you, Psalm 8 verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, thou hast ordained strength. Christ applies it to Matthew 21, thou hast perfected praise. He is saying that against the Pharisees who are criticizing the children for praising him as the Messiah in the temple. But Psalm 8 verse 2 goes on to say that you would silence your enemies. So how does Jesus often silence the enemies of unbelief against the church in the world? Through the mouths of babes and children who Jesus loves and raises as his own. And when a little child can quote the Bible and quote the scriptures and the catechisms and say, you ought to be in church. Why aren't you in church? It's a lot harder for a big burly man to know what to say to that little kid. You have a particular power to witness, including to adults, but also your friends in a way we can't. God is calling you to be salt and light to the earth and world. He's calling you to witness to children, other children to come to Jesus. And then raise their children in the faith as they grow. Beloved, I want you to hear this. You are not children of the devil. You are the sons of God. You do not have to go sow your wild oats. You are wheat separated from the weeds. Parents, Keep up your garden. Cultivate your garden. Protect your legacy. Meredith Klein says this. Crucial to the well-being of the theocracy would be the faithful covenantal nurture of the children in the message of God's redemptive actions and purposes for his people. Paul House writes this. Only scrupulous intergenerational teaching can keep exclusive love of Yahweh alive in a polytheistic culture. What they're saying is work at church growth from within. You know, church growth is just as important to be from within. And as the Lord would add others to us from outside, the whole thing is they should learn that they grow the church from within as well with their own covenant children. By cultivating the faith and significance of your covenant children. Training them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from the narrow way of life following after Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. John D. Curd says this. 
Here is the command that parental teaching ought to dominate the lives of our children. And if it's going to dominate their lives, it's going to dominate our lives. As students and then teachers. He goes on to say, we are to mold our children and hone their characters. And it is to be teaching that is based on the scriptures. That is God's dealing with his people in history. The significance of it all. The redemptive historical witness. Loved, he goes on to say, those of you who have children in the home. Okay, ready? I'm going to stop and say this again. Y'all listening? Those of you who have children in the home. Need to ask yourselves some serious questions. You got children in the home? Are you ready to ask this serious question of yourself? Do you incisively teach the scriptures to your children? Do you take time with them to read and explain the Bible? Do you start early? If the answer is no, repent and do it. If the answer is yes, continue by God's grace, do more and do it better. Beloved dads and moms, beloved brothers and sisters, beloved grandpas and grandpas, beloved uncles and aunts, biological and spiritual, may your answer to that question be yes. It must be yes and amen. Church folk and Christian parents, your young ones must grow up knowing who they are in Christ as the covenant people of the church, free indeed from the world, living in and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, teach your children to live in the Lord's liberty. That's the essence of the question and the answer today of our text. Children, You are to live in the Lord's liberty. Parents, you are to teach your children to live in the Lord's liberty. Let us pray. Oh Lord Jesus in heaven, we thank you so much for teaching us as we are the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we ask your blessing upon us. And we ask that you help us to teach our children and to raise them in the faith, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We confess we fail constantly, but help us to show one of the things we're supposed to do is repent and to keep getting up again seven times a day as necessary in the strength of the Lord, not of our own, and offering up our feeble efforts of faith, trusting you can work with faith as the size of a mustard seed. Build up our house, O Lord, and give shade to all of our children and in their houses, O Lord. Forgive us for where we fail. Help us to do better in serving you. We thank you, Lord God, for being our father and calling us your children. And we thank you for our covenant children and ask you to help us to be faithful stewards of them, to raise them up, to raise their children up, to raise their children up, that we would all have the testimony of Psalm 128. We ask your blessing On these things you have commanded. Now please fulfill in us the answer to your command. 
Help our children to be asking good questions about the faith and help us to be ready to answer. And we thank you in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.